You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. Before we get to your calls, a word about the story of the week, which is of course, uh, for my listeners, probably Prop 8 being upheld by the Supreme Court of California, which sort of said that they're going to uphold Prop 8, so gay marriage is still illegal, but these 18,000 couples who married already, they're still married. The religious right, the opponents of gay marriage, who claimed that the existence of legally married gay couples was a threat to the family, to ravines that would fill with mudslides to hills that would burn, hurricanes that would come. Uh, and, you know, it resulted in homosexuality being taught in the schools, which is where I learned it. They're saying they're not they, they're not bothered. They won. They're happy. They won. Gay marriage. No more gay marriages. And they're content to let these 18,000 legally married couples kick around the state for the next, I guess, 50, 60 years till they all die off, theoretically. Of course, hopefully by then we'll have overturned Prop 8. You know, everyone's bummed. Everyone went to the demos. And we've all been talking about Prop 8 except for the White House, which can't bring itself to say one single goddamn motherfucking word about the historic moment, really, that we're experiencing in the struggle for gay and lesbian civil equality. But we're going to set that aside because I don't want to talk about Prop 8. I want to talk about Prop 22. A lot of people are despairing because of Prop 8 being upheld. It seems to, just in a week, have obliterated all the good feelings and the momentum we sensed coming out of Vermont and Iowa and New Hampshire and Maine. But I don't want people to despair, which is why I don't want to talk about Prop 8. I want to talk about Prop 22, which a lot of people aren't familiar with. Prop 22 was a ballot initiative in California in 2000. It passed. It was approved by the voters. It made gay marriage illegal by statute. In California, that was the law that the Supreme Court of California overturned when it legalized same-sex marriage in California in 2008. Now, in 2000, Prop 22 was approved by a 22-point margin. Crushing. 22-point margin. In 2008, just eight years later, Prop 8 was approved by a four-point margin. So there was an 18-point shift in just eight years in favor of marriage equality in California which means, and which is why the religious right is terrified about this going back on the ballot, which means when it goes back on the ballot in two years or four years, odds are, with everything moving in our direction as it has been and will continue to move, that Prop 8 will be repealed by the voters of California. Uh, Prop 8 was the right question at the wrong time, perhaps, or the wrong question at the right time if you're on the religious right. So just don't lose hope because things are moving in the direction of marriage equality, uh, and the full civil enfranchisement of gay and lesbian citizens. Uh, and we can't let a momentary setback like this decision from the Supreme Court in California last week get us down. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus a free gift with most purchases, please visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. My wife and I have uh, opened up our relationship because uh, she feels that she needs to be poly and uh, that's the way she needs to be. Um, I'm trying to be okay with this and, uh, you know, just trying to suck it up and not be a whiny bitch and, you know, totally try and be free about the whole thing and, and, and let her be herself. But 
and you know, and I'm actually not having that hard of a time with her, you know, wanting to go have sex with somebody else. It's just that uh, she really likes this other guy, and she's been spending like every other night at his house, and um, she says they're not actually having sex. That uh, it's not. It's that's not what it's about, and blah blah blah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just every night that she's there, I just you know I die a little inside. And uh, I really love her. I mean, I'm, you know, we've been married for eight years. And I'm totally in love with her. And I'm just really not sure what to do. You know, the deal with poly relationships when they work and they're healthy and they're functional is that one person doesn't die a little inside the, <laughs> the every time their partner leaves the house. Yeah. So I don't know how you were mow-mowed into this agreement, but clearly you're not ready for what she's asking you to give her. Yeah, actually, uh, what's happening now is uh, we're going to go ahead and get a divorce. Yeah, because uh, she, she needs more than one person, and I'm, you know, I guess I'm just very mono and just care and love extremely deeply for the person I'm with. And uh, she seems to not go that deep and, and like to be with several people. So. so it sounds like it's over. Yeah, um, you know, we've, uh, she's been unhappy in the relationship for years, and I was, uh, apparently just plain old too stoned to, uh, realize it, and since then I've, uh, I've sobered up and I've stopped smoking weed and I've stopped drinking. I mean, she is excited that we're going to be getting a divorce, and Which she is can be a bad sign. Yeah, and she can be a free person and uh, do whatever she wants. It's a, it's a little tough because we do have a 17-year-old, and uh, wow. I feel like she's kind of blowing him off as well. Okay, well, I'm really sorry about the end of your marriage, particularly sorry about how it ended. Um, there's one thing I want to unpack real quickly, uh, not to blame the victim here or you know, to, to, to salt your wounds or anything, but you, you said in your call to me that, you know, when it came down to this and opening up the relationship, uh, you assessed how you'd been sort of conducting your life. You stopped drinking, you stopped smoking, and you became more present yeah. uh, for her. And that is a dynamic that a lot of people who open up their relationships describe, that suddenly they feel maybe it's some sense of having to compete still for the affections of their partner. But, it, you know, in some ways, some people describe, you know, cutting up drinking and smoking, exercising again, as the thing that was imposed on them and they kind of resent. But a lot of people say this, that dynamic suddenly improved their relationship because suddenly they weren't taking each other for granted anymore. And I'm not saying that she would have been able to stay with you forever and that the end of your marriage is your fault. And there wasn't something built into this that I'll point it to its you know, inability to survive forever, um, which doesn't mean the relationship wasn't a success, but it wasn't for life. Yeah. That as you move into your future relationships, you not do that, whether it was related to the demise of the marriage or not, where once you're comfortable in the relationship and settled into the relationship, you stop taking care of yourself, you stop being present, you start taking the other person's presence in your life for granted. Because we really can't do that, whether we're in open relationships or closed relationships. The minute people start doing that is usually when they start growing apart, and that can be fatal. Yeah, we... Uh we just we you know both kind of got lazy in the relationship and uh, and weren't maintaining it and maintaining each other right. for each other right and maintaining and, your bond right and and you know she was 
she was smoking as well and drinking as well. And, and actually, she a couple of, or a year or two ago, she uh, had like this time when she was binge drinking and going out and getting totally sloshed with a friend of hers, and then I'd have to go pick her up. And, uh, you know, I was just like, hey, you know, why don't you just call me and we can drink together or whatever. And right. it, it didn't really seem to be any sort of solution either. Well, look but, at um, right. Most women want what you say you want, which is mono. Yeah. Monogamy, right? And you're still young. Yeah. So this new person that you've become through the crucible of the end of this marriage, where you're drinking less and you're not smoking so much pot or any pot anymore, and you're really working on, you know, yourself you'll be able to trot that new person out and find a new partner, and your odds of finding what you want are actually probably a bit higher than her odds of finding what it is she wants. Yeah. So victory will be yours ultimately. <laughs> All right? Yeah, it's just, it's just, uh, it's a, yeah, it's just a, it's, well, yeah, it's upsetting. I mean, you know, you, you, you know, we didn't get married <clears throat> until we were 30, and you kind of think that, you know, you've been looking around for so long, or not necessarily looking, but just been without for so long that, when you are 30 and you meet somebody, that that just seems like that you're old enough to know yourself and be able to to you know work with a person. But uh, let's not let's not do the dumb American thing or the dumb thing that so many people seem to do all over the world, which is to now regard the entire relationship as a mistake. Yeah, you've got a kid in your life who's going to be in your life all your life, who I hope that you love. Yes, I do very and much. That is a success coming out of this relationship, and you, whatever good years you had together were a success. And you can go on and have another successful relationship. You know, the relationship is ending, and it didn't fail. If you are a better person for having had it, then it was not a failure. It was a success even if it didn't last until one or the other of you died, which is our perverse measure of success in a marriage. You know, yeah. if you hit by a bus before you guys had decided to divorce, we would say, well, that was a successful marriage. But because you're both going to outlive it, we say, oh, their marriage failed. And we shouldn't regard it that way. We should look at it and say, were they good years? Were they bad years? Do they have good things to show for their time together? You're going to have a lifelong bond through this child. Yeah, and and, and actually, we we I, I wouldn't say it was a it was a failure. I mean, we we both did grow very much. The only problem was that in our growing, we we grew apart. And so we're going to, you know, put a period at the end of that chapter and move on with our lives. And she's going to find new partners, and you're going to find a new partner. Yeah. And then you will be friends through this kid. You'll stay in his life. Please tell her for me not to neglect her son, or I'm going to come there and kick her ass. And <laughs> You will, you will love again, and you're young. Yes. And you're in better shape now than you were a couple of years ago when you were really hitting it, right? Yeah. Well, good. Get out there as soon as you know. Give yourself some time to be bummed before you get out there and start dating. But get out there and start dating. Feel the pain, let it hurt, and then move on. All right? Yeah. Good luck. Hi, Dan. Um, I've been dating my boyfriend for about a year now. And he just recently told me that he believes he is asexual. And I can't really figure out what this means to him. He tries, whenever I ask him about it, he tries to say things like he's still attracted to me and he still loves me and he still wants me. But I don't know if that's just to keep from hurting my feelings. We still have sex, but not very often. Maybe just like a couple times a month. 
And I don't know. I just really don't know what this really means. If you have any advice, if you think that our relationship should just cease to be, if that's what that means. Is it like just as if he's not attracted to me anymore or... I don't know. I just really haven't been able to find much about it, and I'm really having a hard time with it. I don't know if there's anything more hurtful you can say to a sex partner than, I don't want to fuck you, which is kind of what he said when he sprung this, oh, by the way, I'm taunt asexual crap on you. There are people out there who are abusing the asexual label. Uh, asexual means you have no interest in sex or romance. Or anything, or really a partnership. You know, get a friend, get a dog. Don't get a boyfriend or a girlfriend if you're asexual and then spring that trap on them and make them feel like there's something wrong with them because they want to fuck, which is part of the deal, which is part of the reason people seek out boyfriends and girlfriends, husbands and wives, aka sex partners. If you are asexual, stay home, be alone, find another asexual and be roommates. Don't get a girlfriend. So what does this mean, you ask, caller? It means he doesn't want to fuck you. So what does that mean? That means do you want to be with somebody for the rest of your life that you have to badger and cajole to put out a little bit? Or do you want to fucking move on? You know, some people say they're asexual and what they actually mean is I'm not interested in sex, dot, 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 with you. And they feel like that's softening the blow somehow because then it's just fate that they're, that your sex life is destroyed. They don't have to take any responsibility for it. They don't have to use the killer eye statement, I am not attracted to you, right? And it kind of makes them a victim of their asexuality and then you're not allowed to really be mad at them because he's got a problem, blah, 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 dump the motherfucker already, all right? Either he's not able to have sex, not interested in sex, or not interested in sex with you, whichever one it is, you are not going to be satisfied in this relationship, and you have got to move on. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle, including a great selection of toys, lingerie, and movies. 10 million customers love the quality, the fast, and discreet shipping, and the 100% satisfaction guarantee. Visit AdamandEve.com today and receive 50% off most any item of your choice, plus a free gift with a purchase of $17 or more. That's AdamandEve.com, and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Here's my problem. I am getting married in uh, three months. I've been with my fiancé for three years. Last night, we're watching TV. And in our state that we live in, uh, gay marriage is not uh, legal. In the state that I grew up in, which is Massachusetts, it is legal. It was important to me to get married in a state where gay marriage is recognized as valid. You was totally okay with that. You know, we set up our arrangements, get married in Massachusetts, totally fine. Meanwhile, the state where we live in, um, you know, doesn't support that. And we're watching the news, and it says, could gay marriage be legalized in our state? And I, you know, make a big cheer and yell out, and I look at him, and he's just blank in the face. And I ask him what he's thinking, what's wrong. You know, of course you support gay marriage, Right. Um, and he says no. And at that moment, Dan, I, um, it, it was as though I did not know this person, this person who knew that I love 
like pussy and, you know, and I, I like cock and everything's great. And, you know, he knows how open-minded that I am. And I, 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 I know it sounds stupid now to say that I just assumed that he was like me because, you know, you tend to love people with similar views to you. Um, it, it, it had come up before, but it had never come down to, but do you support this? And I think what bothers me the most is that he had no reason. He had no argument. Um, he had nothing to back up his reason for feeling that way. Um, other than the fact that it was almost out of spite. I said, well, if it came up in a vote in our state, would you vote for or against? He goes, I would vote against. And I said, why? And he goes, because. And so, as silly as it sounds, it makes me feel that there's this little, little opening for, like, hope here that, you know, because he has no foundation upon which to stand on, that maybe I could change his mind. But here we go. Like, I've got this wedding in three months. I've got invitations set out. I have this person who, in all the other respects, I completely love and want to marry. And But yet, we disagree on something that is so, like, fundamentally important to me. He... Bombs it in the ass. Um, he's fucked boys. Like, oh, I'm so frustrated. And, you know, I was hysterical. I was crying. I was so, I was just angry. And I don't know what to do. A little trip down memory lane before I get to your question. So years and years ago, I was out with a, sort of a casual boyfriend. It was New Year's Eve. We were at a dance club. We were dancing, which I don't usually do. But, you know, I make exceptions on New Year's Eve. Uh, New Year's E, I think we should call it. I made an exception for. And we met this incredibly hot guy who kind of hit on both of us, which, you know, when I'm out with a boyfriend, is usually not the way that sort of thing works. Usually the boy guy I'm with gets hit on and I watch. Um, but he hit on both of us and he was all over us. And, you know, it was New Year's E. So we took him home. And it came out as we all rolled around that he was a Marine. And that was fine with us because of the job the Marines had done to his back, abs, ass, arms, legs, everything. Uh, thank you, uh, U.S. Marine Corps, for that very special treat. And then I started talking to him about, you know, after we were all done, thank God, about don't ask, don't tell, which was already the policy in the military to disallow openly gay service members from serving. And we had just been serviced by what we assumed to be an openly gay member of the military who had served our openly gay members. And... He said that he was not for repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, that he supported the ban on gays and lesbians in the military. And I said, well, I support the ban on gay and lesbian people in the military who support the ban on gay and lesbian people in the military in my apartment. So you have to go now. It was just so weird. It freaked me out because I didn't certainly expect that uh, considering that if he had tried to tell me about it a half an hour sooner, I would have understood a word he said because his mouth would have been full of my boyfriend and me. Anyway, you just never know. Like you have that fiance, you're getting married in Massachusetts, you're a gay marriage supporter or a marriage equality supporter. And at the last minute, it comes out, it falls out of his mouth as it fell out of his, that he holds a diametrically opposed political position on something you just presume because, you know, he's marrying you and you're a right on chick and you're for gay marriage. That's why you want to get married in Massachusetts. I just presume that as a fag Marine, he would be totally into perhaps repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell so that he could serve openly. And he's like, no, I don't want to serve with a bunch of homos. Is sort of kind of how he said it. And he didn't want people to, he thought people would be more suspicious of his sexuality if you could be gay in the military. And it was a good cover for him with his family. Just like the things came out of his mouth in my 
made my raw other head explode. Now, what to do about your fiance? It's a totally different situation because you're in really deep with this guy with the invitations out and everything. And here's what I would do. If I if you love him in every other respect, this take it in the ass has slept with boys, not a supporter of gay marriage, heterosexual identified wacko. If you love him in every other respect and you want to marry him, I think you should. You know, there are examples of successful relationships that bridge political divides out there. Mary Matlin and James Carville. Uh, different political parties equally loathsome human beings. They seem to have made it work. You guys can make it work and you can assure him that everywhere he goes his entire life, you will be there. You will be registered to vote. And if a vote ever comes up on gay marriage, you will cancel his fucking bigot vote out. And you can work on him. You can chip away at him. You know, there are people who marry as Republicans and bury as Democrats. There are ways, you know, sometimes our where our hearts take us, our, our, our allegiance to our loves shifts our political positions and you can work on him now. What's going on with the take it up the ass, uh, fuck the boys thing? Here's my theory. Just like my friend in the military who was champion cocksucker, really, uh, couldn't find fault at all, supported the ban, was in part because it was good cover for him personally because he was gay and closeted and didn't want anyone to think that he could possibly be gay because he was a Marine. And if you know, people knew that there was such a thing as gay Marines, they could look at him and say, Marine, maybe gay, maybe not gay, right? It could be that your fiancé has a similar sort of you know, magical thinking logic about gay marriage. That as somebody who has a taste for the occasional boy, as somebody who's taken it in the ass, he may feel when he looks at other human beings slightly suspect. Like maybe they can see into the darker recesses of his small intestine and see the lube remnants that are still there. And, and so to deflect attention from his own sort of discomfort with his homosexual desires as, the, as they've been ex- expressed, he feels – you know he's taking this anti-gay political posture, which he can be public about in a way that he can't be public about his uh, homosexual escapades. So it's the good offense – as defense thing. You know, he looks at other people in some part of his brain, thinks, I wonder if they can tell. And, you know, I got, you know, in some part of maybe, perhaps it's subconscious, it might not be a conscious thought process, says, well, I'm going to be anti-gay politically in public so that nobody suspects that back in my bedroom with my fiance, I'm occasionally ass in the air with a dildo buried in it, or I am occasionally interested in doing a guy. Right? It's just a cliche play out of the whole Larry Craig political posturing process where I am hiding my homosexuality or my homosexual interests, if your boyfriend is only a little bi, from the world by assuming an anti-gay political posture in public. You can chip away at that. If you want, you know, I often tell people not to regard lovers as projects and fixer-uppers, like you want someone you want to live in on the day they arrive, but you can chip away at that. I would, in your shoes, if he's otherwise admirable, marry his ass and then challenge him on this issue whenever it comes up forever and ever and ever until he shifts and refuse to uh, peg him until he does. Hey, Dan. My fiance and I are getting married in a year and we were discussing some of those important topics you're supposed to come to an agreement on before you decide to spend the rest of your lives together. I'm Jewish and he's not. And we'd already talked about how I'd probably want to raise my kids Jewish and he's fine with that. Then we started talking about whether if we had a son, we would circumcise him. My fiancé was never circumcised, and he's actually very glad. His arguments against circumcision were very reasonable and logical. He said that, first of all, circumcision is unnecessary. 
that the reasons and related to health and sanitation don't have much factual basis. He also thinks that he experiences much greater sexual pleasure than he would if he were circumcised. We ended up doing a little online research, all of which kind of pointed to the conclusion that the reasons to circumcise are not good enough to outweigh the pain you're inflicting on your child, as well as the fact that you're taking away his basic right to decide whether or not he wants to be circumcised. But despite the fact that basic logic seems to be pointing me in one direction, I still can't help feeling a little uncomfortable about this, since having a son who isn't circumcised would, according to Jewish law, mean having a son who isn't technically Jewish. So I'm not going to ask you to tell us what to do, although I'm sure you will anyway, but I was wondering if you could give us a little more information that might help lead to a decision. First of all, do you know why this is a Jewish tradition to begin with, and why has it expanded to becoming such a widespread practice in America? Do you think Americans' perspective on circumcision is changing at all, or will it probably continue to prevail for 75% of boys born in the U.S.? Basically, is it a bigger deal to do it or to not do it? I had one question for you, follow-up, but I couldn't get you on the phone. Uh, Do you believe in God, G hyphen D, or is this just a cultural thing? If it's just a cultural thing and you don't actually think God is going to roast you on a spit in Jewish hell, which I believe is Branson, Missouri, for all eternity, if you don't have your son circumcised, you shouldn't even be contemplating having your son circumcised. Uh, It's his dick, really. It's not Yahweh's and it's not yours. Uh, And it's not your husband's. And circumcision rates in the United States are plummeting. It was a weird-ass sort of anti-masturbation, anti-pro-hygiene psychosis that gripped the country 100 years ago. Um, It's not uh, a Jewish conspiracy to impose circumcision on the world uh, per some anti-circumcision, anti-Semitic weirdos. Uh, It really was an anti-masturbation campaign uh, gone horribly, horribly awry. I would urge you – I didn't have my son circumcised. We're Catholic but you know, both his dads are circumcised. We didn't have us circumcised. And one of the arguments we heard for having him circumcised was that he should look like us, which is hilarious because uh, I've had a father now for 44 years and I can't remember a single instance where we hauled our dicks out at Thanksgiving just to like check out that family resemblance. I actually couldn't describe my dad's dick to you. I don't know what if I don't know if it's purple with yellow polka dots. I don't know anything about my dad's dick or my brother's dicks or my grandfather's dicks. They're a mystery to me. So I don't understand the whole I want my son's dick to look like my dick thing. Because as soon as your son is out of diapers and uh, doing the bathroom for himself, you don't get to see his dick no more. And that's when the real important dick changes happen. You really won't. You could put your son's dick in a lineup one day and you will not recognize it. I guarantee you. If you're raising him right. Don't do it. It's not your dick. Those aren't your nerve endings. Uh, there are some Jewish sort of uh, traditions now, an emerging sort of anti-circumcision Jewish thing uh, where instead of getting them cut, you get them notched, sort of like just a little bloodletting around the foreskin just so you can have the pain but keep the foreskin, have the ritual, keep the foreskin. You might want to consider that or you might want to consider adopting girls from China. Good luck with that. Hi, uh, Dan. My name is Kat. I'm calling with kind of a a very weird problem here. Um, I'm calling about my brother who's in his early 40s. Um, He was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder years ago. I don't know if you know too much about it, but it's kind of strained our relationship a lot. Um, he's either really, really clingy, like 10 calls a day, or he would shut me out. 
was really hard to deal with all the clinginess, so I'd, you know, pretty much just let him shut me out, um, although we'd still be in contact. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, my brother, until very recently, was my sister. He was in the hospital for cutting and making suicide threats and was diagnosed in there with gender identity disorder. Um, I didn't know this until he got out and started sending me emails signed Seth instead of Mary. So after a few of these, I I took the bait and said, who's Seth? And he said, me. And, you know, that's when I knew about the diagnosis. And he said he would be going through surgery and uh, making the change. So I was completely surprised. Um, as my sister Mary was a butch lesbian, and someone in old shrink might think you must want to be a man. But she was always like a woman, a woman-loving woman, a short haircut, but very feminine qualities. So for me, it's been hard to make the transition. Um, he's been so, he's so emotionally unstable that it's, it's kind of hard not to see this as part of his mental illness, which I hate to say kind of invalidates it for me, especially since sexual identity confusion is a big trait of BPD. An example of like why it's hard to deal with this is if I if I see him and we talk about our childhood and I would I slipped a few times and said Mary or she and um, he if I did that he would threaten to cut himself you know which just doesn't it's not it's not rational you know and I and I feel like a transgender family support group won't really understand the situation nor will a borderline personality disorder support group and until I assign someone I wonder if you'd have any advice for this really strange predicament that I found myself in your brother may be nuts and that may have something to do with the trans issue and it may not you really probably are going to get frustrated if you're trying to unscramble those eggs um Sometimes people look at an emotionally unstable transgendered person and go, oh, look at the emotional instability that transgenderism uh, creates. But some people are emotionally unstable as a result of having lived all their life in conflict with their gender. That will put the zap on your head, right? I can't know for sure what's going on. If it's just some sort of stunt, if your brother is nuts, the fact that he used to be a butch lesbian doesn't negate the possibility that he was – trans all along and a man all along trapped in a butch lesbian's body. There are lots of butch lesbians who in the last 10, 15 years have made the transition uh, to men. He may be one of them. Um, so I wouldn't point to that as evidence of anything. Your brother, trans or not, born male or not, is wacko, is a little nuts. The threatening to cut himself if you get the personal pronoun wrong he needs help. He needs a shrink. Uh, you probably – if I were you in your shoes, I wouldn't meet with him alone. I'd want a third party there. You know, you could consider going to a few therapy sessions together because he may need to hear from another person that he's got to give you guys a little time yourselves to make an adjustment that he's already made in his head by the time he made the announcement. It's going to – he's got to cut you guys some fucking slack and not engage in emotionally manipulative self-harm. And if he can't get there because you're going to slip up every once in a while and call him Mary, 
Don't hang out with him until he is there, unless there's a third party there, like a shrink, somebody he trusts who's helping him along in this process who can help him to see that you are not the enemy. I recently have been having sort of a little problem with my boyfriend. Um, he's been acting a little weird. Um, he, We've been together for a few months, and he kind of doesn't let me touch him down there. It's a little weird. Recently, I got really upset at him. We kind of ended things. Well, we didn't end things, but we were kind of like on a break sort of thing. And we met up, and he was telling me that he has this really big insecurity because he has a small penis. So I told him that it was okay. It's really not that big of a deal. I haven't really touched it. It functions because I kind of feel it when he's aroused and he kisses me and we sort of fool around. So I'm not sure how small this thing really is. Um... I really don't know what to do. I kind of don't know how to deal with it um, right now. And I would really appreciate your help. Now, because of the previous call, the first thing I thought when you said, doesn't let me touch him down there, was, oh, my God, he's a tranny. He's not letting you touch him because he's got a pussy down there. Uh, but if you felt it rolling around uh, and you think it functions, then uh, we're just going to run on the presumption that your boyfriend has a penis. Okay. It could be that he has a perfectly average functional penis that he is self-conscious about because he's watched too much porn or there were much bigger guys in, you know, showers, not growers around his locker room when he was in high school sports or whatever. There are guys out there with, you know, five inch, six inch, four and a half inch penises, perfectly average, fine functional penises who are convinced that they have no dicks or small dicks because their frame of reference is really skewed. By pornography and uh, by mistaken assumptions uh, about other guys and what they got. Or it could be, you know, and in that case, you just need to like get him out of his pants and reassure him. And you need to say what I just said. Don't look at guys in porn. Don't look at guys in locker rooms. And if it's a penis that makes me happy, it's penis enough for both of us. Right? You just got to say that. And it may, t you know, some guys get really insecure about it. Now, he could have what we sometimes called in the biz a micropenis, which is not to be confused with a mummy clitoris. A micropenis is a penis that's under two and a half inches. Um, they work also. You know, a, a penis and a clitoris is an orgasm delivery system. Uh, if he has a, a micropenis, most men, all men with micropenises are typically capable of achieving orgasm. So it's still a functional penis. And studies of women who are partnered with men who have micropenises – have shown that they report higher degrees of sexual satisfaction than women who are partnered with men with average uh, and above average penises because the guys with the micro penises, they try harder and they don't rely exclusively on their penis uh, for sex acts. And as we know, if you're a regular from the show, 75% of women require stimulation in addition to vaginal penetration in order to get off. A guy with a micro penis isn't relying on just fucking her vagina to get her off. He's going to be a oral sex champ and his fingers are going to do amazing things just like his tongue. So even if he has a micro penis, it is something you can work with and around. Uh, hi again. My name is Sarah. I'm 21 years old. Um, straight, I guess, if that matters. Um, I am the child of a same-sex um, same-sex parent. Um, I had a question. I just kind of thought it was kind of weird, but um, a lady at work. We were talking about something with with you know parents. I just refer to them as my parents. Um, 
but then she seems to think it's mother and father. And I always kind of have issues on whether or not I should be correcting people and telling them, like, you know, I had two mothers or, like, what's appropriate for work because my normal instinct is I don't I don't really care what you think, who I am, whatever, but kind of afraid of at work that maybe they might treat me differently because it's happened before. Um, so I kind of wanted to know what you would think in that kind of situation. Is it appropriate to tell people at work that you are the child of a same-sex couple, or how do you handle that? Here's a funny thing. I'm a gay parent, right? Uh-huh. And when people talk to me, introduce themselves, and mention their parents, I assume that they're talking about a mother and a father, because the vast and overwhelming majority of people out there being raised, or being raised, or were raised by moms and dads, not dads and dads, not moms and moms. So when uh-huh. you say, you know, you talk to your coworker, you mention your parents, and she seems to think mother and father. Well, of course she does. That's the very natural assumption that anyone, including me, a gay parent, would make uh-huh. if somebody invokes their parents, Right. Right. So it's not something she's doing. It's something you are allowing and encouraging her to do. Well, yeah, and that wasn't my problem because I understand, like, I understand you say parents, and that's always just kind of a general assumption. But then it was also one of those things where it's like, it's like if I told you, I had, well, should I, I just mention and be like, if I told you I had my mother, <laughs> think well, maybe ostrich eggs, maybe duck eggs, <laughs> you would think chicken eggs. You tell me you have parents, I think mom and dad. Even me, even a fag parent, thinks mom and dad. Until somebody mentions otherwise. You know, I think you should be out about having a mom and a mom. And the best time to do that is as early as possible. Right. Oh, no, I'm already, yeah, I just, I guess my question was more like, is it appropriate for work to be in, I don't know. It would be inappropriate. It's kind of a different environment. Right, it would be inappropriate at work to describe your mom's having sex. Right. But the existence of your moms is not sexual, right? Okay. I mean, when people say, you know, talking about homosexuality in the schools is inappropriate, what they mean is talking about homosexual sex. But then they want to extend that to you're not allowed to mention Harvey Milk. Because any, right. in any, any way that you invoke the existence of gay people is to introduce sex into a conversation or an environment where it doesn't belong. As if the existence of straight people is not about sex unless you're talking about straight sex, whereas the existence of gay people at all, any acknowledgement of our existence, is talking about sex. Well, it's not any more than saying, I have you know, a mom and a dad. It's like saying, I have a mom and a dad, and they fuck. They yeah. have some heterosexual sex. You should see it. In fact, I have some tape. Would you like to have a seat in my cubicle and watch my mom and dad go at it? That's not what people infer or or seem to think is going on when people talk about their moms and dads. But we, you know, kids raised by gay people, gay people, and people who hate us sometimes think that any mention of our existence is necessarily a conversation, perhaps an inappropriate conversation, about sex. And it's not. Your, Your mom and mom have been together for a long time, and their parents, I assume that like most parents in long term relationships, they don't have sex anymore. That's the courtesy that people extend opposite-sex parents after a while. They just don't even see them as sexual beings. All right. Right? And you should okay. move through life operating under the assumptions of the bigots who hate your family. Right. That being honest about our existence is to everywhere and always be instigating an inappropriate conversation about human sexuality. It's not like there are no gay people in Dallas, Texas. It's not like oh. there are no gay families in Dallas, Texas. I know for a fact that there are. I've met them. Um, it's not, you know, the burden isn't on you, particularly in environments where you may feel vulnerable, like it's a new job you've just started. You know, you're not there to fight the fight for the queers, right? 
I, I encourage my own son. You know, he goes away to summer camp, and we encouraged him to tell the people he wanted to tell that he had two dads when he felt it was appropriate. You know, he didn't have to march in there waving a rainbow flag on our account. Mm-hmm. Because he, you know, he has to make that decision for himself. And I think you have a right to make that decision for yourself. I would hope, though, that you didn't regard it, as I've already said, as introducing sex in an inappropriate way when it's not. And that I hope that you would take the opportunity when you can and where you can to be open about who you are and who your family is, because there's nothing wrong with your family. Right. I think that's maybe just the obstacle, because I have, like, mentioned it to some people at work, and then they just kind of like, oh, well, you're weird, aren't you? <laughs> like, I don't know, I kind of get, like, that reaction. It's like, well, I don't want that reaction. It's nothing, not any different than anybody else. Right, like, and the longer, the you know, the less opportunities we take to be out with people, the longer we will continue to get those reactions. Just like yeah. when gay people were first coming out, and you know, people said, I remember people saying, you know, a million years ago when I was first coming out, I don't want it to be the first thing people think about when they meet me, and if I'm out at work, people are like, oh. And now most gay people who are gay, who are openly gay, are out at work, and everybody just deals with it. Um, and, they're, and it's better to be gay in the workplace now because of the gay people then who toughed it out when people were going, oh. And you are you are blazing a path for future generations of kids being raised by same-sex partners by being out and enforcing the issue now. I mean, think of the service that you're doing my son, who's 11, right. by shouldering this. That's a good point, yeah. Now, that's a good point. On his behalf. And he'll do his part, too, when he's older. You know, he went to summer camp and told his little new friends. Yeah, that's a good point. I remember, like, because my parents didn't even tell me. I don't even know how I didn't know, but they didn't even tell me until I was probably like thirteen. <laughs> but, um, but basically, they told me they didn't want they didn't want me to know when I was a kid because they thought it would affect like how other kids would affect you know, mm-hmm. like they'd be afraid kids wouldn't want to come spend the night or like you know parents time. would get freaked out or whatever. But it's like things are different now. Things are different. It's a different time so, in a different place, and they're different. So I can see that. Next to your moms, who I assume were out in other areas of their lives, even if they weren't out to their children until they were teenagers. <laughs> they move the ball down the field. Now, you know, you're straight, and it's a little unfair, I guess, because you didn't choose your parents. But the onus now is on you to move the ball down the field a little bit more okay. for, every, for others. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, cool. <laughs> if somebody has a problem with it, fuck them. Right. <laughs> you don't want them as friends if they can't feel. Right. You know, what good is a friend that you have to hide your family from? Well, yeah, all my friends know. <laughs> co- or what, you know, I don't want to be collegial with someone at work who thinks my, who, would, who thought ill of my parents. That's true. All right, we are going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question for a future show, please call that number, 206-201-2720. Leave a callback number in case we want to chit-chat and ask you a follow-up question. You download us every week at www.thestranger.com slash savage. I Log every day at slog.thestranger.com and me and the hot and sweaty because it is hot and sweaty in this recording booth today me and the hot and sweaty tech savvy at risk youth we'll be back at you next week another installment of the lovecast thanks for listening